0: Don't miss out on all the extra content I'm sharing. I can't wait to see you over there.
1: Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com.
2: The people who I think struggle the most are the people who come into my office and you say something like, what do you enjoy or what brings you joy or "What what's pleasurable And they just stare at you and they have absolutely no idea. Mm. And that's because they've been, you know, compartmentalizing and stuffing down and all sorts of things their whole lives to get through. They know something's missing, but they have no idea exactly what it is
0: because they don't know themselves. and how they have healed and thrived despite everything to arrive right here in this moment. Content warning, if you are triggered by the themes of this podcast, please seek a helpline in your city. Hello my beautiful friends, it's so great to have you here with me today. If you have experienced childhood trauma, you will at some point judge yourself, run yourself down and hold shame for what has happened in the past. My special guest blogger this week is Tracy Berger, who is sharing a blog post called Don't Believe Everything You Think, Three Steps to Acknowledge and Love Your Inner Critic. That inner critic can get wild at times, and if you can figure out how to turn it off, you will be ahead of the game. So click the link in the show notes to find out how you can pour love over that angry inner voice. My guest this week on the podcast is Brooke Braylove. She is a psychotherapist, and she has spent years sitting with clients in talk therapy, helping them with depression, anxiety, trauma, and relationship challenges, Today, she is on the podcast to share about a therapy she now offers her clients that you have most probably never heard of. It's called Accelerated Resolution Therapy, otherwise known as ART, which Brooke describes as highly effective in treating trauma. Brooke has had her own challenges to overcome, and she shares about how much ART therapy was able to help her and how she is now helping many, many others to thrive after trauma through art therapy. Brooke Braylove, welcome to the podcast. You are a licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist, and you specialize in treating people with depression, anxiety, trauma, and relationship challenges. You also advocate for a therapy called Advanced Accelerated Resolution Therapy, otherwise known as ART, which you now practice And you want to share about this treatment because you feel it's important that anyone on a healing journey understands how highly effective art is in treating trauma. We'll talk about art soon, but as somebody who's working in the trauma space, could you explain your understanding of what childhood trauma is?
2: Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to be here. Well, I think childhood trauma can really refer to a lot of different things. And I, like many trauma therapists, do sort of subscribe to the sort of big T, little T lens, which is that there are big T traumas that most of us would think of when we think of trauma, which are things like a parent's death, a car accident, a natural disaster, you know, violence, sexual assault, childhood abuse. I think we all really understand what those are. And many of us agree that those are very traumatic. But I do think especially in terms of your listeners and and what might be important for them to know about is that there are a lot of little T traumas that can happen sort of over and over again. So, you know, childhood emotional neglect. People will often say, well, I didn't have any trauma because my parents never hit me and I was, you know, never sexually abused. But when you dig deeper, there were periods of, you know, their childhood where their needs were not getting met. Their emotional needs, their physical needs for affection, words of affirmation were not being met by their parents. And those also create traumatic responses in the body. And it's important that we look at those too, because it doesn't have to be a big T trauma to show up in your life, in your body, in your relationships for a very long time. And and I really want people to understand that, that all of that is valid to work on in therapy.
0: Mm. Yeah so i mean so much of this stuff just feels like it's normal because it is what happened to us we we feel that it's normal how does somebody recognize that as trauma
2: mhm well first of all i think it's important that we look at and understand the the definition of trauma in terms of it being some sort of event or some trigger that causes the individual to feel overwhelmed it is something out of the ordinary that they then have a physical and emotional response so i think we 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 don't even notice some of us that we go into fight flight freeze or fawn quite often which is a trauma response And it's important to look at where did that come from? When did that start? And then what re-triggers that response in you? Because we want to be able to, you know, obviously it's all evolution. So when we see a bear in the forest, we need the sympathetic nervous system to come online and have us do fight or flee or freeze. That's evolutionarily what needed to happen. But the problem with trauma is that even though there's no bear, we continue to have that same body response, that sympathetic nervous system gets activated, and we have a really difficult time overriding it. And that is what causes suffering. What makes it traumatic is that that same response continues long after the incident or occurrence that initially Mm. made you respond that way.
0: Yeah. And And that's our suffering. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can even just be that someone is just unwell, can't it? I know for myself for years, I just had sort of chronic unwellness. It's almost like you're looking for the answers to so many things, but in the end, it's it's actually your nervous system underneath all of that, driving that unwellness.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I I think health is from the inside out and lots of times the the best thing to do is to simply treat the body. And, you know, part of what I'm going to talk about today with accelerated resolution therapy is that I do think there are limitations on talk therapy, especially with trauma. And there are times that talking about trauma over and over and over again will not heal you. And luckily, we have these exciting treatments that can really change things for people. So because, again, that's what people want. They want to watch you know, a movie and not get triggered in the middle of it when they're hanging out on a first date right? But if something happens in a movie that reminds them of an earlier trauma, their body will get very dysregulated and often they're not able to calm themselves down. And then of course we can imagine what happens on that first date. It probably doesn't go very well, right? Mm -hmm. And so I also think it's important to understand how trauma responses don't help connection, They basically lead us to usually withdraw and move away from people. The thing that actually really heals trauma is connection. But when we are so triggered, you know, we can sort of scare people or people don't know what to do with us when we're in a trauma response. And that makes me really sad, which is why I'm so happy that we have something that will help people stay close and connected by just basically taking away that response, which for them has always felt like it is completely out of their control and automatic. And this kind of therapy challenges
0: that. And you describe yourself growing up as quite a sensitive child how did that sensitivity show up in your life?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I don't, I don't have sort of the, what I would say is a clear case of childhood trauma, but I would say that I, my nervous system comes by anxiety and depression, very sort of, earnestly. Meaning my mom says that I was born with, you know, those little worry lines between your, your, on your forehead. And I don't doubt that honestly, from as, you know, as early as I can remember, I was sensitive, but I was mostly seen as, you know, Brooke worries too much. Every single report card from pre-kindergarten, basically through 12th grade would say the exact same thing. Brooke worries too much. She just needs to have, you know, more confidence. And that showed up in my body a lot. I had frequent stomach aches. I would, I mean, you know, before every soccer game, every lacrosse game, I'd get a stomach ache and, you know, say, I feel sick and I can't go. And, you know, usually my mom would, or dad would say, you know, okay, that's, you have that, but let, let's give it a try. And of course I would get through it every time, but it was still very debilitating to me. And it was just unpleasant all the time. And it it didn't really get that much better throughout, even though I was successful. And I, you know, I did fine in school and I did certainly fine athletically, my body just knew how to do that. And so I did have this a bit of a sort of hypervigilance to what was going on around me. And I was activated a lot. I also was sensitive and I would cry easily. I still cry easily, although I now don't see it as a, a negative thing. I actually see it as mostly positive in that I'm able to feel that I need to cry. And then the crying leads to me getting through it much more quickly. I know not everyone is like that. And of course there are times where, you know, I wish I could compartmentalize a little bit better, but you know, we know tears release endorphins. So clearly they're there for a reason. And, and I, they help me a lot.
0: Yeah. And I think if we're quite a sensitive child, that really carries through, doesn't it? We might come up with better strategies but I mean that's effectively who we are really isn't it and and it's just about I guess learning to manage it better.
2: Yeah and I do think when I was growing up I would hear you're too sensitive and I think we're starting to understand how damaging that is and that there may be no such thing. And there are all these ideas or memes of empathy is my superpower. I'm a badass because I'm so sensitive or sensitivity, whatever. And I I do think, I mean, I wouldn't be a therapist if I weren't sensitive and attuned, right? So that hypervigilance that I might've had because I was anxious a lot did help me be extremely observant. Notice changes in people's moods. Well, I make a living doing that now I help people by doing that. And so like many good coping mechanisms, childhood coping mechanisms, you should be grateful for them, because they may have saved your life kept, you know, kept you safe and made you be successful. Mm. The problem becomes when those no longer have the same results and they become problematic. And that's where I'm trying to help most of my clients is to say, hey, that perfectionism that, you know, got you into the Ivy League school and got your parents to think you were the greatest thing in the world, well, now... I don't see that you have any friends because nobody thinks you're very real or authentic. So, you know, I always say to my patients and they usually laugh, not always, but how's that working out for you? And the answer is that most adaptive coping mechanisms become maladaptive. And that's usually what lands people in, into therapy, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was the same. I was very sensitive growing up. The messages were you're too sensitive. Why is it always such a big deal? I now understand is a beautiful thing to be sensitive. I think the sensitive people in the world, imagine if we didn't have them. If we were all just walking around, crushing our way through life, having those beautiful, sensitive people, it is hard when you're around someone that's very sensitive because there's a lot going on often and especially for a little kid there's a lot of tears and all the rest of it but just just having that beauty of being able to feel things so deeply i think it's such a gift you know yes
2: and i i just wrote down deeply feeling i love saying that i am a deeply feeling person and that you have to deeply feel sorrow, sadness, grief, loss, in order to deeply feel love, joy, and happiness. Yeah. And we don't get to numb out from the negative feelings. We have to have them both. They inform each other. They are a yin and a yang. And and we always have both. You do not get through this life without experiencing both sides of that. And I'm willing to feel deep pain because the reward is deeper joy. And mm-hmm. the people who I think struggle the most are the people who come into my office and you say something like, what do you enjoy? Or what brings you joy? Or what, what's pleasurable? And they just stare at you and they have absolutely no idea. Mm -hmm. And that's because they've been, you know, compartmentalizing and stuffing down and all sorts of things their whole lives to get through. But here they are. I'm usually working with, you know, 40s or 50s people, and they know something's missing, but they have no idea exactly what it is because they don't know themselves. And I'm really grateful to my parents who sent me to therapy at a young age when I was clearly anxious, I think that was a great decision. And I'm really grateful because I think that's why I'm a therapist today is because I learned early that talking about things helps. Mm. And many people do not learn that. They learn the complete opposite, which is we will never speak of this. Mm. And that again, secrets really do kill us slowly because you carry it, you know, in your body and sometimes in your DNA,
0: right? Yeah. Oh, wow. I haven't heard that said before. Secrets kill us. Oh God. It's so true. It's so true. Brooke, I know you went through some personal trauma a few years ago. Can you tell us about that time and what was going on?
2: So I had a pretty traumatic breakup in 2017. I'm divorced, but I'd been dating someone and felt really good about the relationship and thought we were going strong and this would, you know, maybe be my my person, my second person. And out of nowhere he ended the relationship. So it was extremely traumatic in terms of the suddenness and without warning. I've had hard breakups, but never like this. And, you know, I was doing my regular weekly psychodynamic psychotherapy and I just wasn't getting better about, you know, sort of like, three months out or so, I really was still crying every day and I was stuck, really, really stuck. And so I tried a couple different modalities and then someone said, well, the only other thing I know about is accelerated resolution therapy. And so I did two sessions of art and got unstuck and was able to move forward in a, in a very different way with the knowledge of what had happened, but none of the traumatic images or body sensations that would come up when I thought about this breakup. And I was sold. I mean, you know, I tell, and I tell my patients, this is, I know what you're going to go through with art because I did it. And that's why I'm here. I, you know, got trained as quickly as I could, and I've been doing it ever since. And it's really, really increased. It's now I, I'm, I'm really focused on it in my practice now, because when you find something that leads to such rapid healing and permanent lifelong change, it's hard to, you know, want to do anything else, frankly.
0: Wow, it must be so exciting to find something like that. I mean, for yourself, but just to be able to heal other people.
2: I just said to one of my therapist friends, I said I've always known I was a therapist and now I believe I'm a healer, and I truly believe that now. And I would never have said that about myself. You know, I was helping people, sure, but now I really believe that we co-create healing
0: in in the sessions. Wow so you said before talk therapy it's our go-to right I mean it's it's the original I mean there's a lot of positives that you can get out of that how does it differ from from that because like you said I mean with talk therapy and a lot of people I know have mentioned over the years well I just keep talking about the same things you can end up just going around in circles can't you
2: yeah yeah so I I think, art can be really great for people who have tried a bunch of different modalities, including talk therapy. So they've talked and they've talked and they've talked and, you know, they don't, they feel they're stuck. I mean, I really like to see people who feel stuck or they've moved on in, you know, X ways from a divorce, but they can't move on in this one specific way because again, what, we know is that by talking over and over again about trauma, it actually worsens the memory in our brain. So each time we tell it, the story gets worse. So in some ways, it's sort of the opposite of what you want to do. And again, I want to be clear, I am never suggesting that talk therapy is not amazing and wonderful. It's what I've done for 20 years. I will continue to do it. But I do think that there's a place where you get where both therapist and client really need to say, you know, we're at an impasse here. And then, you know, there are lots of therapies you can try. I mean, I'm talking about art today, but any of the body-based, brain-based therapies, EMDR, brain spotting, somatic experiencing, any of these things are really good. Any emotional freedom technique, tapping, all of those things are a different way in. And that's what I like to explain to people. We are basically not going to continue to go in the same way to try to attack this sort of problem. We're going in a different way and let's see if we have a different outcome.
0: Mm. And so what happens to a person that comes in for a session? What, what, Yeah, well,
2: first of all, yeah, let me let me sort of pull back and actually just tell you and sort of give you a a definition of what art actually is. Mm -hmm. So accelerated resolution therapy is an evidence based practice treatment modality that uses rapid eye movement and voluntary image replacement to change the way the brain stores distressing images and sensations. So in only one to five sessions... We help people re-script traumas that have happened. We help them think about their depression differently, anxiety. It works on almost every single issue that would bring you to therapy in the first place. And I can you know, name some of the, the things I've worked on with, with folks. But it really says that the brain... And the body have to be connected in terms of getting rid of things that are causing the distress. And the brain, I always tell my, my clients, the brain wants to heal. You just got to give it a better story that it can hold on to, and some better images. And, and that's really what we're doing. So we, the rapid eye movement replicates REM sleep, which is where memories are reconsolidated. So in some ways, we're basically doing REM sleep, but just very purposefully to try to change how those memories get stored. We basically are saying, no, no, don't store those traumatic images. Here, here are some, let's store those instead. And the eye movements themselves are very, very relaxing. And so through the eye movements, we have the person, you know, think about their trauma and their sensations begin to improve as they begin to relax more with with the eye movements. And then we just, again, the creator of art, Lainey Rosenzweig, calls it positization. We basically... Don't just get rid of the negative, we make it positive and then store that in the brain. And that is healing. And I see radical, radical change in 60 minutes. And there's nothing like it, both from my own feelings of, you know, efficacy and really, really being able to help people. And What's so beautiful is I can actually see it in their faces as they're healing moment to moment. And I'll have a a client in my office who's having a panic attack. She may be thinking about, you know, a traumatic death in her life. And she may be, you know, heart racing, sweaty palms, you know, all sorts of things. And within minutes, she's completely relaxed and has, you know, calm flowing through her body. And that literally happens in a matter of just a few minutes. So unlike something like exposure therapy, which actually can be re-traumatizing because you're asking the person to keep experiencing the discomfort, there's only a few minutes that the person is very uncomfortable in art. And so I really do encourage people that you won't have to keep talking about it. In fact, you'll only need to talk to the way I do it is I do an intake session. And that is the only time you will actually tell me about whatever trauma is bringing you in or, you know, about your depression or about your eating disorder, your chronic pain. After that, we're mostly talking about sensations and images. And so people are very relieved by that. They don't want to keep talking about things because it hasn't gotten them anywhere necessarily.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm interested that somebody could have had a picture or a memory that they have in their mind for 20, 30, 40 years, and it gets replaced that quickly. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel like it's possible.
2: I, t- I totally understand. And that's why Lainey Rosenzweig's book is is called Too Good to Be True. This is the problem we're finding with art, is that People don't believe it. And so they don't want to try it. Right. And I get it. I really do totally understand. And I love when people are skeptical and they come in, that is totally fine. It makes sense that you would be skeptical. Well, how in the world does this work? Which is why many of my clients say, I don't, I literally don't know what just happened. I think that was magic or are you a Jedi or whatever, you know, (laughs) kinds of things they say. But the word magic is, is constant in my office and it is, and I almost, this is, it's not quite the right word, but there's, it, it feels so sacred what goes on that there's a little piece of it that feels like you're witnessing a miracle. But the miracle is based on science. Wow. So, you know, it's not exactly an actual miracle, but the the honor I feel in witnessing people doing this is, is just incredible. I mean, and so it does feel sacred. And and I, I'm just I, I love feeling that and I love giving people a sense that, you know, they never believed they could feel you know, calm when they would talk about their sexual assault 30 years ago, but they can after art. And again, it's one to five sessions, but I have almost never needed to see someone for five sessions. I have worked with people who once they heal one thing They say, well, now I want to work on my relationship with my sister-in-law, and I have this chronic back pain. And so I will work with people on multiple, multiple issues. And I have one woman who I'd seen for years, but she had left therapy and then she came back because she read about art. And this one client has worked on a sexual assault in college, which he... Has no feelings about anymore. She can tell you about it, but she has no feelings. We've worked on her brother's death, which left her feeling guilty that she had not been there when he died. We've completely changed her relationship to that grief. So instead of feeling guilty when she thinks about him, she smiles. We've worked on an injury she had to her toe where she had chronic pain for two years in her toe. We did a 60-minute session, and, and that was nine months ago, and not one moment of pain in her toe since then. We've worked on how she relates to people at work, and the people in her life notice. Her husband notices, her children notice, and even her colleagues have noticed that she's different, so we can have more control on how we respond to people and how our relationships go through art
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices
0: That sounds absolutely incredible. I guess some people listening will have experienced EMDR, which is also a rapid eye movement modality, and I I've spoken to people who've done EMDR and it does sound like it is quite traumatizing as well to actually do the sessions. It sounds a bit like running a marathon. <laughs> I haven't experienced it, but but just having spoken to people. So obviously this is something that's going to come up. Can you tell us the difference between the two?
2: Yeah, so I, I sort of look at them as kind of distant cousins. So they both do use eye movements. There are a few main differences. One is that art is more of a sort of step-by-step protocol whereas EMDR you end up often sort of free associating it can be a bit more meandering where you follow the the client where they go but it's called accelerated resolution therapy because there is a resolution at the end of every session so we don't leave things kind of open ended or well we'll have to continue that next time it has a beginning middle and end and so people feel very contained and complete when they leave it, it may mean that we'd have to revisit that same you know topic again but that that session can stand alone. Art does, again, this kind of positizing these images, whereas EMDR doesn't quite do it that way. And then art is is much briefer in only one to five sessions. EMDR can be 10 to 20, depending. And I think another sort of piece that's important is that While EMDR uses eye movements, they can also use headphones and buzzers. And what we really find in the research shows is that it's actually the eye movements that are most effective in changing the way the brain stores memories. And so that's what art focuses on. It's really the magic is in the eye movements, but EMDR is great. And again, I don't, you know, I I think people can try both or, you know, start with one and everybody's different. I mean, I, I will say, I don't believe that there is any one treatment that works for every single person. We are way too unique. Our learning is different. Our brains are different. And we have to accommodate that, you know, some people are not going to respond to things in in the same way. So the research on ART, you know, shows that it's extremely effective, over 70% effective. But my clinical experience is that it's closer to probably 92 to 95% effective in symptom reduction, substantial symptom reduction. That's pretty incredible. Um, yeah. And again, that's my experience. You know, I'm one clinician, but
0: it's pretty great. And those effects are long lasting. So once, once it's changed, it's not six months and you're looking for more answers.
2: No. And, and I, I think there's there's sort of another few benefits of art that I do want to mention. So first of all, art can be its own therapy. It can be standalone Or it can be in conjunction with other kinds of therapies. So you could do talk therapy and art at the same time. You could be trying, you know, somatic experiencing and do art. So it's not, there's no sort of, it doesn't conflict with anything else. You don't have to go off medication change medication. You don't have to do anything. There's no homework between sessions, you know, DBT and some of these other things will have, you know, this is what I want. We want you to work on this week. You don't actually have to do much at all, except notice how you feel in between art sessions. And so I think it's great because What I try to tell other therapists, you know, trauma therapists who aren't trained in art, is if you're stuck with someone, if they're stuck, just, you know, send them to me and let's see if we can't unstick them in this one way. And then they'll just continue working with you because they're doing great work with you. You just haven't found a way to help them separate from these images that cause so much distress. And so, I like being also able to help out other therapists too. And I really do want to encourage therapists to look into the art training. It's a three-day training. It is such a wonderful thing to add to your practice. It's a great tool in your, you know, toolbox. And what I love about art is that it really decreases burnout because. Most trauma therapists spend their most of their days hearing about terrible, terrible trauma that obviously has a huge impact compassion fatigue burnout and art, since you only really you know you don't have to hear about it in any great detail you're you're not absorbing all that trauma and so it it has made me more excited about staying. In this field for as long as possible, whereas you know at times we we do get burnt out, and this has really changed that for me. And so I really, really want to encourage other therapists to get trained in this. It's a it's a great training. It's not a difficult training. It's three days, and it's it's worth every penny.
0: Mm. Yes, and that is a thing, isn't it? I often wonder how therapists do that sitting just absorbing so much of other people's trauma. So if somebody's at the start of their healing journey, they just know that they don't feel happy in their life, their low self-worth, they're not really sort of tying it into a lot of what's happened to them. I mean, if they come to you, what would be the process with heart?
2: So usually, I mean, again, as I said, some people just come to me for talk therapy. And so I will usually start with talk therapy. And then if I believe art would be helpful to them, I will, you know, introduce it. But a lot of people are are coming to me now very specifically for art. And I really, I ask, you know, three screening questions over the phone just to make sure they sort of are good candidates. And they're very easy things. The three questions are, Can you move your eyes back and forth easily? Meaning, you know, if you have a history of seizures or you've had a recent concussion, that might not be a great idea to start art or do art. The second question is, can you hold a thought and an image, you know, a thought in your head? Because you do have to be able to hold on to that and see it. And then the third is, are you motivated to change? This one is the tricky one because never have I asked someone who's called me that and they say, not really motivated, right? They're calling me. So they say, of course I'm motivated. And, And this is where things get a little bit more challenging because I do find that people who have had, you know, lifelong trauma, they do have difficulty seeing themselves Without it and or something like, you know, if you've had a chronic depression, who would you be if you weren't a depressed person? And sometimes and again, I'm not saying resistance is is on purpose. It's an unconscious resistance, but it can be really scary to change and to let go of something that has been your partner, not a good partner, not a healthy partner, your depression, but it's still been with you. And it's really frightening to try to think of who you would be without it. That I always say hope is scary. So I normalize that with people, but there are, you know, occasionally people who I almost can tell on the phone that it, it probably wouldn't work for them. And that's usually when they really talk about extensively how, you know, nothing works for them and everything works for other people. And when you can tell they they there's a, you know, what we call a secondary gain by holding on to this. And again, this is also trauma informed. It's not that they want to suffer at all, but they just kind of can't get out of their own way. I don't see that a lot, but every once in a while I do, especially if it's sort of like a a chronic illness where their diagnosis means they're part of a community and they've become really invested in that community. What if they no longer had those symptoms? What if they no longer had that chronic illness? What would happen to their relationships? So we can understand that some people aren't really ready to change in that way, because it would mean giving meaningful things up.
0: Yeah, I totally get that. And so can you give us a couple more examples of people that you've really helped through art therapy?
2: Sure. Well, since you do, you know, your podcast really focuses on childhood and parenting. I'll give you the, uh, a recent example. I worked with a woman I actually saw her remotely. I do art virtually and in person. They're actually equally effective. I've had some clients do, you know, both because of travel and they, they say it's really equally effective, which is pretty cool. And so I saw her remotely and she was coming in, she said, because she wanted to heal her mother wound. So that felt big and, you know, that, that's not a a small feat. And so it turns out that what she worked on is that her mother, very sadly, had exposed her to multiple men over her entire childhood who sexually abused her. Mm -hmm. And when she told her mother, her mother called her a liar. Mm -hmm. So obviously created a massive mother wound that made it just incredibly difficult for her to. Interact with her mother. It was very triggering and obviously deep lifelong pain. So she basically took all those instances of sexual abuse and started, you know, reimagining them. And of course, when you're reimagining something so horrific, you know, she, I think she had sweaty palms, her heart was racing, she had a lump in her throat, she felt like she was going to throw up. But very quickly, you know, through the eye movements, those began to lessen. And then she chose to, you know, do the positization with something that would be really healing to her heart. And I'll work with clients to figure out what that might be. So, for instance, you know, I I usually would say something like, well, do you need to stand up to those men? do you need to stand up to your mother? Does a grandparent need to come, come and protect you from those men? Do you need to fight them off? Does your mother need to protect you? That kind of thing. So it's really, it's my job to, I think, really use my intuition to think about what does this person need to heal? And I can tell, whether they're healing or not. And so sometimes I'll say, I don't think that was quite right. We're missing something. What about if you did this or that? And I give them ideas. They can take the ideas or or leave them, but we want to find one that, you know, leads their whole body to relax. And we usually find it. I usually find it around by the third time, but a lot of people know exactly what's healing and, and they, they, they can do it really quickly. So she felt like a massive shift in her entire body. She really couldn't recall those images anymore. She just felt light and free. That would have been good enough. That would have been an unbelievably successful session. But what happened next is really miraculous. This woman had had cancer, I think one to two years before it wasn't, it was pretty recent and she had lost feeling in her one side of her face and had trouble opening her jaw. It had lost a lot of mobility while we were doing this, all of the feeling came back in her face on that one side and she was able to move her jaw freely and with ease. Wow. And that was what had happened from the cancer. So in her mind, the cancer was linked to this mother wound. And by healing the mother wound, we were able to heal the impact, at least the impact of the cancer. Obviously, I have no idea what will happen as she moves forward in her life, but I'm pretty confident that her body won't need to show the trauma in that way because it's healed. And even better, she contacted me a week later and she said, for years, I've run hot. I always thought it was menopause, but I've run hot. My temperature is elevated. I need fans on me at all times. And she said, my temperature is down. I am cool. I have no heat in my body because she says she let go of her anger. And it was the anger that was literally fueling the fire in her body. And now that we healed this, it was gone. So we changed her internal temperature through art.
0: I mean, that's just incredible. And so how many sessions did you do in total with her? One. One session. 60
2: minutes. (gasps) That's it.
0: Oh my goodness. That's incredible.
2: Yeah, just one. Um, And some people do require a few, but again, I have not met someone who needs five for the exact same thing. They may say, well, now that we've healed that, I'd like to work on that. And, you know, and again, I mean, it just, you know, it works on so many different things. It works on OCD. It works extremely well on phobias. I helped someone heal a lifetime of body image issues. By simply helping her tell herself more positive things when she looked in the mirror, and so I say, "Well, is it gone? You know, completely." This is like three months ago, and she'll say, "Every once in a while, I thought will creep up, but as quickly as it comes in, it's gone." I mean, that's all. I mean, think about it. You know, as a woman, how much you would love, I'm going to assume since you're a woman who's alive, that you've had some, you know, issues around body image as I think we all have to some extent. Imagine being able to heal that in one Mm -hmm. session, your relationship to your body.
0: Yes. And just the lady that you were talking about before with the cancer and the numb face. I mean, it's just, it's just so clear, isn't it? How everything is connected. You know it's the 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 thoughts and the brain and the cancer and the the numb yeah. jaw and everything i mean my goodness this is this is absolutely incredible to hear how quickly i mean when you talked about that lady, I thought you were going to say you know five full sessions which seemed like not very much to me anyway. Wow. It's just incredible. I just wanted to also ask you about, I know you have a program where you help people to heal from shame. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because we do hold on to so much shame, don't we, from things that we should have no shame about.
2: Right. Yeah. So I am a certified Daring Way facilitator, which is Brene Brown's shame resilience curriculum. I was one of the first three people in the, in the DMV, the district Maryland and Virginia to be trained in her work. And now they're probably 40 or so. And I offer two and a half day workshops in person workshops for women who basically want to show up, be seen, and live brave in their lives, and to understand what gets in the way of of them doing that. And so we do a deep dive through Brene's teachings around shame, authenticity, vulnerability, self-compassion, trust, trust. Empathy, perfectionism is a big one. And we really help people see that shame is universal and that it really holds us back. The, you know, what will other people think and the terrible messages we say to ourselves about, you know, we're bad rather than, well, maybe I made a mistake in, you know, some behavior. And, you know, So many of us walk around thinking we must be the only ones who feel, you know, X. And what I love about group work and especially this kind of deep two and a half day dive is you put eight women in a room together who really would never meet otherwise and who walk in and probably have a lot of preconceived notions of each other. And they're all the same. Their stories might be different, but the underlying difficulty being vulnerable, fear of being fully authentic and will you be accepted? And and so it's really inspiring to see the work people do. They can be brutally, brutally vulnerable in a way that sometimes I think you can't do with people you know. And so there, it's really a sacred space. It's a really powerful weekend. I often say that I will have goosebumps for a lot of the weekend because there's just, you know, such beautiful work being done and connections being made and it's a lot of how our childhoods Impact right shame usually starts in childhood. We don't just you know pick it up when we're twenty. It's usually quite old, and certainly you know even you know sexual shame. And I, I love what you said, which is you know we feel shame about things that really aren't ours to feel ashamed about. We kind of go and and pick it up, and and this is an opportunity to learn how to just place it down and say. I don't accept you. You're not going to be a, a part of my life. I'm going to recognize you and I'm going to talk about you so you don't take over my life. Mm. And again, it's for those women who feel stuck in terms of something's missing, but I can't put my finger on it.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds so good. So good. And and you you're right. It is doing those things in a group of people. There's so much beauty and benefit in that isn't there so if somebody's listening to this I mean who should be contacting you for art therapy for the shame workshop Mm
2: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, for, for art, it could literally be practically anyone who feels stuck and who feels like they're not able to move forward and that other treatments have not helped. Certainly the most obvious is people with PTSD or complex PTSD. So, You know, it's not just single incident trauma. I can work with someone, again, who was, like this woman, sexually abused multiple times throughout her childhood, which is a more complex PTSD. But trauma, phobias, you know, fear of public speaking, that works really well. I worked with someone on just self-confidence and he became more confident after a session. So there's, it's almost anything that you're struggling with, but, but of course, I think the most obvious is anyone who's dealing with trauma and PTSD. And in terms of the Brene Brown workshops, you know, anyone who wants to come to Bethesda, Maryland, right outside DC and join me for a two and a half day experience that is really healing in a group, right? So, and what I love about that is we're learning about vulnerability, but we're practicing it in the moment. And that's how we learn best.
0: Mm, Absolutely. So how can we find you?
2: Sure. So you can go to my website, brookebraylove.com. All my, you know, all information about me and the, and the kind of different work I do is on there. You can also find me on Instagram at Psychotherapy. same thing on Facebook. And yeah, I'd love to connect with people. I also want to let everyone know that you can go to acceleratedresolutiontherapy.com And you can search for an art practitioner by state. There's people worldwide, a lot of people in Canada, but a lot of people in the US who are trained in this work and give it a try. The absolute worst thing that happens is you tried something new and it didn't work that well. But again, because it has a resolution at the end of every session, there, there are
0: really no risks involved well, all the links for Brooke are in the show notes. So please go and check that out. Brooke, thank you so much for sharing everything you've shared today. I agree that you are a healer. You are healing people's lives. And that is so powerful. That is so powerful what you're doing. And sometimes we have to go through our own stuff in order to become that person don't we because it's really through you looking for answers for yourself that you're able to share that now with other people so everything you've shared today has been so valuable thank you so much oh good thank you thank you for being on this journey of healing and community with me if you listen on apple i would love it if you could take a moment to post a review for the podcast it would mean a lot Check the show notes for all links recommended in this episode. If you're on Instagram, follow me at My Big Love Project, and please share this episode with someone you know needs to hear it. Thank you for joining me. You are such an incredible soul because you are you. You are unique. Your journey is unique and you can absolutely change the world with your story. Your time is precious and I so appreciate you being here. Thanks for joining me. I'll catch you next week.